Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we come to you and we, uh, we come to worship you. And, and we know that we are here not because we're good or because we deserve it. We're here because you alone are worthy of worship. And God, you are the one who cleans us and saves us and adopts us and makes us sons and daughters. God, what we would say is it's in Christ alone. You are our only hope. Your work on the cross is our only hope and our only confidence. So God, we come to you to praise you and worship you. And, and we believe that you've really cleaned us so that we can stand before you. God, I pray as we continue to worship that you would help me to teach. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit, God. I, I need you. God, I pray you would help all of us to hear what you would say to us. Give us soft and tender hearts towards you and your word. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, everyone. Well, we've got a lot going on this week. We're getting ready for Easter. Now, we, we're really picking up the, uh, the pace this week as a church, in case you hadn't noticed. If, if you didn't get the bulletin, you, need to, you should have gotten to the doors you came in, but that tells all the things that we're doing this week. And now's the shot. I kind of want to take a moment to remind all of you of the things that are happening this week. So Thursday night, we're taking a moment. It's supposed to be a time of worship for us. We're going to have a dinner on the grounds, and we're going to do communion together. We, we picked Thursday night because that's the night in the the storyline of Easter where Jesus had his last supper with the disciples. He did communion and that's the night he went and prayed and he was betrayed by Judas. So Thursday night, we're going to remember that. Now here's what we need you to do. Uh, we need you to sign up online so we know how much food to buy for everyone. Um, so we, we don't want to get surprised by that. So I'm asking all of you before the end of the day or sometime tomorrow to go online. The information's on that card in front of you. We're also going to have chairs. We're doing this out on the football field. So almost every Everyone, we want all of you to bring your own picnic blankets. We're going to do a picnic on the field and try to figure that out and make this as COVID friendly as possible. But we know that not everyone can sit on the ground and have a picnic. All right. So we also have a spot for you to reserve tables and chairs. Okay. Now listen, all my 20 year olds, I don't need you reserving a table and a chair. This ain't for you. All right. The, the tables and chairs, unless you got some kind of major injury, this is for people who have a hard time getting up and down and you know who you are if you're that person. So 20 year olds, don't book the, don't book the table tables and chairs. Are y'all good with that? All right. <laughs> good. All right. Then on Friday, we're having a drop in time of prayer where we want to remember the, the crucifixion of Jesus. So Friday morning, we're opening up this room from 630 to one or 130. The, the info's in the bulletin and you can drop in anytime you want for either a time of guided prayer or just coming on in and praying quietly by yourself. But it's a drop in time for you to come in and pray and take a moment to meditate on the crucifixion of Jesus. So we, we want to take that time. And then Saturday, we're doing an Easter egg hunt. Uh, listen, I have no idea how many people are showing up for that Easter egg hunt, but we think it's going to be a lot of people. We got a petting zoo and we're filling up these fields with Easter eggs and candy, not chocolate. So it doesn't melt on the field. All right. So nobody panic out there. There's going to be little pony rides and free pizza. And listen, if you've got kids, you know, some with kids, please invite them to come. Uh, you can come and party and serve. A lot of you are serving. I'm proud of y'all for the way you're stepping up for that. But that is this Saturday morning. And then Sunday morning, we're having our Easter sunrise service out at Cully's on Timberlane Road. And so that'll be at 7 a.m. where we gather to remember the resurrection of Jesus. And then we'll be back here at 10 a.m. And then we will all take naps on Sunday afternoon. So that's like a plan for y'all. Okay, well, I'll take a nap on Sunday afternoon. And the rest of you... Man, if you're still up after that, I'm proud of you. Um, but I, I'm excited about it. And I just want to encourage you, 
Easter is a time for us to remember the greatest thing about Christianity, that Jesus died and came back to life so that every single one of us, every man, woman, and child, regardless of your past and your, your mistakes, regardless of your current situation, he died to give every single one of us access and forgiveness. He died to make all of us new and part of the family. We got to celebrate this. So we're going to celebrate it. And this is also a time where people in our city will be showing back up at church. And I want to encourage you, if you've got unsaved friends or friends that don't have a church, invite them to come and join us Easter Sunday morning or any one of these activities. Listen, this is a great way for you to engage your neighbors and coworkers and friends who need to know Jesus. All right. That's my announcement time. That was a lot of announcements packed into like a minute. Are y'all still with me? Nice. Okay. I've got answers. I'm, I'm happy about this. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to jump back into Matthew chapter 21. We're, we're in a series called Behold the King. We're looking at Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. Um, the typical thing you do on Palm Sunday is there's, you know, you're remembering Jesus coming in. We did that like three weeks ago where Jesus came into Jerusalem as a king. Y'all remember this story, right? People are cutting down palm branches. They're screaming, they're shouting, they're saying, Hosanna to the king. Like we're, we're so pumped that the king is coming. Like the save us Messiah, that's what we want. We want him to save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Like they're partying, they're throwing down palm branches in the road so the donkey doesn't touch the road. They're taking their jackets off and putting it down so the donkey doesn't touch the road. Like these people are crazy, enthusiastic, excited about Jesus coming into town. And the very first thing he did when he comes into town, y'all remember this two weeks ago? He goes straight to the temple. And when he goes to the temple, oh goodness. <laughs> Goodness, he sees stuff that ain't gonna work for him. He starts flipping tables. He starts running people out of there because what are they doing? They're making it hard for everyone to have access to God. They've turned the place of prayer into a market. They've turned the place of worship into a place where they can make money off of people having to give offering. Like they, they've, they've made it a den of robbers and they've made it a marketplace instead of a place of worship and prayer. And Jesus threw down right then and there. He wasn't tolerating it anymore because when the king comes to town, he makes sure that people have access to him. That's what he's going to do. And if you don't give people access to the father, he's going to get upset if you get in the way. That's, that's his deal. He's not going to tolerate the people that he wants not having access because the religious clean don't want them to have access. That's not how Jesus rolls. So he flips tables. So we're picking it back up. Now, listen, I'm going to give you a little review. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 21. Look at verse 23. This is not our main passage, but it's a run up to what happens. The next day, Jesus comes in the temple and here's what happens. And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Well, what gives you the right, Jesus? Who put you in charge? You think you just walk into here, start flipping tables and running people out of town. Uh, we know the answer to that one, right? Like uh, God put him in charge. He put himself in charge. That's what the king does. All right. And they're saying, who do you think you are? What gives you the right? Verse 24. So Jesus answered them. I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. Little quick tip. Jesus already has been telling them for three years what authority he does these things. So this is not like I haven't told you. He said it over and over and over again. And they keep going, wait, who sent you? Who do you think you are? What's going on? He's like, I've already told you. How many times I have to tell you? And this time, they're like, okay, fine. 
I'll tell you if you answer my question. So here's his question. The baptism of John, that's John the Baptist. From where did it come from? From heaven or from man? Right, and so they get in this discussion. That, that should be an easy answer. Was John from God or was John just some kind of cool little experience that happened that just, he was just a really influential guy and he knew, he knew how to make friends and influence people. Like, which was John? Was John from God or was he just a gifted speaker? What was he? That, he was from God, right? Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. So they get in a little huddle, a Pharisee huddle, a Baptist huddle, whatever you want to call it. They're huddled up trying to figure out what's the right answer. But that's not what they're talking about. They're not asking, was he from John or was he, was he from God or was he not from God? They're asking this question. Look at it right there in verse 25. Verse 25, I lost my place. Yes. And they discussed it among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? Which is a fair question, right? Like if John was from God, you should believe him. Now notice they're not discussing if John was from God. They're discussing, man, he's got us in this really tricky situation. Because if we say from God, we obviously didn't believe that. So he's just going to ask that. Verse 26. But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd for they all hold that John was a prophet. Like we can't say out loud that John wasn't from God. Everyone here is going to kill us if we do that because everybody knows that John was from God. That's the point. So they answered Jesus. I don't know. We, we, we got no idea. That's a really tough question, Jesus. Was that guy from God or not? We don't know. All right, so, so Jesus responds, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Like, listen, all right, fine. You don't want to answer that question. I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna make you answer that question. And, and often we stop right there in the story. But if you look in your Bible, you're gonna notice something. Jesus doesn't stop. His answer is, oh, okay, so, so you don't know if John was from God. All right, I don't know is the answer. All right, I see how we're going to play this. Let me, let me tell you a little story. This is the way it is. I'm going to ask you another question. Give you a chance to understand that I know what you're doing here. here. Here's what he does. He says, what do you think? This is verse 28. A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. Let me, let me just hit pause right there real quick. Listen, I, if you don't know me, I got four kids. They are nine, seven, five, and three. All right. And, and in this story, Jesus, I'm going to tell you a little story. A guy had two sons. I got a lot of, I got a lot of kids. I got three sons, a daughter. It doesn't matter if it's a son or a daughter. But when I walk into my house and I say, listen, Adib, Zaid, Evangel, Xander, even little cute, chubby cheeked three-year-old Xander. Like even that, I'll say, listen, go clean your room. But right? if one of my kids says, I don't think so. What, listen, how many parents in the house? What, what happens the next 30 seconds in your house? Yeah, don't, don't tell me. I don't want to call the cops on you. I don't want to have to do that. Like, I, we know what happens, right? Like, there's something's going to happen because that room is getting cleaned. All the people who are not parents, if you are a kid of a parent, which is everyone in the room, if your parents ever told you, I need you to go pick up your room, and you said, no, I'm not going to do it. You tell me what your parents did to you. Listen, I don't know what kind of dad this guy is, but this son says, no, and he walks away. 
This is not a parenting lesson. Parents do not parent like this. That's, that's not the point of this lesson. Here's what's crazy. This son was willfully disrespectful. He just blatantly said, he didn't even try to hide it. The dude just straight up said, I ain't doing that. To his dad's face. Listen, to his Middle Eastern dad's face. Uh, you didn't pick up on it. My name is Faiza Yub. Now, if you think an American dad gets mad if you tell him no, you ain't seen nothing till you've seen an Arab dad. There are shoes coming off. Things are flying across the room. You don't make it to the next day if you tell your dad to his face no. And if you've ever met my dad, right? Some of y'all met my dad. You know, you know, I, I did not. I did not. I am here today as proof. I did not say no to my father. This dude said no. This lunatic of a son said no, and he got away with it. That's crazy. That, 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 is, that is crazy, but, but look at what happens next. Here's what I love. Verse 29, but afterward, he changed his mind and went. Listen, Knucklehead had a really bad moment maybe a long moment. I don't know what happened between him and his dad, but dad leaves. Dad's probably a little bit upset at Junior because Junior said, dad, I'm not working in that field. I'm, I'm too good for this. I don't work in the field. You don't tell me what to do. And dad walks away and Junior's like, man, what, what was I thinking? That was stupid. That was dumb. That was wrong. I'm going to go do what he said. Listen, in case you don't know it, this is what repentance is. Repentance is that moment that you say, what I just did was wrong and stupid. And you know what? I'm not just going to say it was wrong and was stupid. He said it was wrong and it was stupid. And he went and actually obeyed his dad. He went to the field. Awesome. But there's a second son. Look at Junior here. Junior's awesome. This second son, man, he's the good kid. Verse 30. And he went to his other son because Knucklehead said no. I... I don't know what the plan was there. I'm trying to picture, I don't understand this parenting thing. My first son said no, so I'm going to the other one. Let me ask him if he'll do what I say. And he went to the other son and said the same thing, go work in the vineyard. And he answered, I go, sir. Yes, sir. Like, listen, I love it. So respectful. I'm, it's, I'm on it. I'm on it right now, sir. He used sir. You try to get your kids to say sir and ma'am. Y'all do that? Right, listen, and if they just do it automatically, like, right, like I go home and I say, kids, I need you to go clean your room. And they're like, yes, sir. There's no, oh, there's no, oh. They just, yes, sir, I'm doing it right now. And they sprint to their room. Man, parents, how are y'all feeling about that moment? Like I just, the first kid says, uh-uh. The second kid is, yes, sir. Right, which kid makes you happy in that moment? The second the second, obviously, this, said, this kid said no to my face. That kid said, yes, sir, I'm, that's my good kid. That's my, that's my strong-willed one. God, give me the grace to deal with that one. This one, why can't your brother be like you? Saying, yes, sir, and doing it. I'm doing it right now. I'm dropping everything, and I'm going to go clean the room. Man, I wish my, son could, my other son would be like you. But look at the rest of it. But did not go. See that there? He gets the yes, sir, right? He gets the speech, right? 
He knows what he's supposed to say. He knows what he's supposed to do. He just doesn't actually do it. And Jesus asks the question, simple question, which of the two, not which of the two made his dad happy, which of the two did the will of his father? Which one obeyed dad? Listen, if you can't get that question right, you got bigger issues, all right? It's obvious which one obeyed his father. The first, that's what they said. They said the first. And then Jesus makes the point. And listen, in case you haven't seen this side of Jesus, when he decides to make a point, dude, he makes it and he makes it clear and direct and obvious. And sometimes it's just amazingly shocking. You're like, whoa, okay, that, I didn't see that coming. What does he say? He says, truly, or that word truly, amen. That's right. I say to you, look what, he, look what he's saying to these really good, clean Jewish religious leaders who are in charge of worshiping God. The people who know the word better than anyone else. Their lives are spick and span clean. He says, truly I say to you, the tax collectors, in case you know what a tax collector is in that day, that's, that's the traitor. They're not a patriot. They serve the Romans. The traitors, the tax collector, the greedy people that will sell you and their nation for a dollar, the tax collectors, and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Man, I, ooh. <laughs> Listen, if I'm a pastor and some dude rolls into town having a meeting with pastors and we're in a little discussion, he goes, you know, gotta be honest with you, the drug dealers and the con artists and the prostitutes are gonna be in heaven before you get there. I might be a little upset by that statement. Would you? Why is Jesus saying that? What's the point? Listen, they just said, we don't know where John was from. He says this, verse 32, for John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe. But the tax collectors and prostitutes, they believed him. They don't know the Bible as good as you. They're not as clean as you, man. They've made some awful decisions. They're deeply broken and rebellious and stubborn, but they got it. John came and said, you repent and follow God. And they said, you know what? You're right. I'm doing it. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. You even saw other people repenting, deeply broken people repenting and changing their lives. And it didn't cause you to repent. You dug your heels in even more. Listen, church, when I, when I look at this and I see what King Jesus does when he walks into town, there's a few points I think we need to hear. The first one is this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because it's not the main passage, but I want some of you here in this room to hear this. Don't let your past rebellion keep you from current repentance and obedience. Don't do it, right? Like, I don't know what your past is, but you know what I love about the first son? He totally blew it. And what he did not do was he did not say, man, I can't believe I blew it. I give up. There's no way dad will accept me now. That, that son had deep, I mean, huge mistakes right there. Plain and obvious rebellion. He did not let that keep him from repenting and turning back to his dad and obeying him. Listen, you got a past? Welcome to the club. 
You got rebellion and disobedience and brokenness on your back. Welcome to the club. That is exactly what Jesus came to deal with. And he's telling you, don't let that rebellion keep you from turning to him now. It's never too late. It doesn't matter how bad the rebellion is. It doesn't matter how long you were in rebellion. It doesn't matter how many consequences you got because of the rebellion. Here's the point. That's exactly what Jesus wants. Come to him with your issues. Come to him with your brokenness. Just repent and say, will you forgive me? He's like, get over here. You're my son. You're my daughter. I want you. And he will accept you. No performance needed. Listen, if you're here and you're struggling, you think, man, I got to clean myself up before I can go back to God. You don't understand what he's saying. He's saying, you just repent. I'll clean you up. I'll do the cleaning. Does that feel like a relief to anyone else? Because, man, I got to be honest, it doesn't feel like I can clean myself up very good. How you doing to clean yourself up? Cleaning up your thoughts, your heart, your attitude, your motives. Man, I, I can't clean that no matter how much comment or bleach or whatever I use on me. I can't get it out. I need him to get inside and clean my motives and my affections and my heart and my desires. I need him to do that. And he says he'll do all the cleaning. I just need to ask. Man, that's good news. That, that is good news for every single one of us. So listen, if you are still breathing the air around you, if your heart is still beating, you still have a chance to turn back to him. I don't know where you're at today. I don't need to know. I just know who he is. And he says, if you're breathing, you got a chance. All right, don't wait. But, but listen, this story isn't focused on that son. This story's focused on the other son, the one that said, yes, sir, right away, sir, but didn't do it. This story's focused on my church people, my religious, my good Baptist, Southern, but whatever we are, Southern Baptist, whatever Baptist, they're like, I ain't no Baptist. Okay, fine. Listen, this is focused on Southern Christianity in Tallahassee. Okay. It's focused on most of us here in this room. This son that, that is able to, to tell his dad, yes, sir, and not do it. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing here. He is dismantling and demolishing all semblance of religious activity that was not a result of faith-filled obedience and love for Jesus. Let me say that again. He's ripping away any shred, any kind of mask that you have of religious activity and cleanness, and you think, man, that'll work. That doesn't work for Jesus. He wants faith-filled, love-filled obedience. That's what he's calling for. Not religion, not activity. He, he's not falling for a clean outside, but an inside that's still rebellious. He doesn't fall for that. The, the people that he brought into the kingdom were struggling sinners who repented and said, you know what, I'm gonna start obeying Jesus. And their obedience may have been weak and they may have been limping along because of their past, but they still repented and were obeying. And they were getting in. Meanwhile, the one that Jesus fought is the religious who were clean that didn't feel like they needed anything to repent of. He fought them. He opposed them because their religion and cleanness were not real obedience. Listen, here's, here's what I'm asking us to do today. 
I'm, right now, I'm asking us to allow Jesus to walk through this room, through our hearts, through our lives, through this church, and we want him to demolish all fake obedience. We don't want faithless obedience or graceless obedience. We don't want gospelless obedience or loveless obedience. And I think I just made up like four words. We don't want obedience that has no faith. We don't want obedience that has no grace. We don't want obedience that has no gospel. And we don't want obedience that has no love. Because all of those are not really obedience. Those are all actually disobedience. It, listen, if you try to obey without faith, grace, gospel, and love, what you're really doing is disobeying. You're saying, yes, sir, but you're not actually doing it. Can, can I share a few ways that I wrote down that I, I think we're really good at hiding disobedience or masking it? Let me give you one that I see here in this verse. We can hide disobedience by saying we did not know or understand. Say it again. We can hide or mask our disobedience by saying, I, I didn't know. I don't understand. Isn't that what the, the Pharisees did? Hey, who is John from? God or from people? I don't know. And listen, some of you, you, you may not know. Okay, I, I'm not saying, oh, you can never say I don't know. But, but listen, can I... I'm just going to be honest. I might rant here for a moment. Uh, if I haven't already been doing that, you're about to see what it looks like. like. Like, here's what they're basically saying. Here's what the Pharisees just said. God wasn't clear enough with John for us to actually know if he was from God. So I can say, I don't know, and you can't hold me responsible for it. But listen to what they're saying. Jesus, you haven't been clear enough for three years. When you had people lined up out the temple and you're healing them over and over and over and over again, the blind, the lame, the deaf, leprosy, you're casting out demons. Like, think about that. They've seen him do this over and over and over again. Like three weeks before this, he brought Lazarus back from the dead. The, he brought a dead man back to life after three or four days. And they're saying, who do you think you are, Jesus? You haven't been clear enough. What else is the man supposed to do? Like, man, I've, I've said it every which way I can say it. I've told you every story. I've performed every miracle possible. I've walked on water. I've stopped storms. I've healed people. I brought people back from the dead. And still you say, we don't know where you're from. Church, <laughs> you need to hear me on this. Jesus gave you the word. How many translations of the Bible in English are there right now? Good grief. There's King James, New King James, NIV, like a new NIV, the TNIV, the NASB, like the ESV, the CSB, the whatever, mix whatever letters you want together. There's a translation with it written every way possible for you to be able to understand. And you think that we can stand before God and say, I don't know what you want. We've been in, some of us have been in church for decades. Decades hearing preaching, good, bad, ugly, whatever way you want to rate it. But guess what? At some point you got access to sermon after sermon after sermon. You can go to Barnes and Noble or Books a Million right now and there are shelves filled with books by Christian writers, some good, some bad. 
Think you could say, I don't know? Listen, you go online and you can find the greatest pastors in the country, some in the world, and there are recordings after recordings after recordings of their sermons. You can sign up for podcasts. You can read article after article after article after blog. It's almost overwhelming how much information we have. And we still say, I don't know what you want. Can, can I simplify it for you just in case? And you probably already know the answer to this. I, I might give you a hint. It, it might be up on the wall here. What, what's the greatest commandment? Love. Love who? Love God and love your neighbor. All right. And what's this one over here? Great commission. Go ye therefore and make disciples. Yeah, we're going to make disciples, teaching them to obey whatever I've commanded you and baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Right? Listen, you think you know what he wants? Because you know what he said about this? On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He's been clear. And sometimes we say, God, I don't know what you want. We, we do just what this son, it's like that son, him saying, son, go work in the vineyard. He's like, yes, sir. And then the father, he's like, I don't know what he wants. Like I've never worked in a vineyard. He didn't give it, it wasn't clear enough. Do what in the vineyard, dad? You didn't, you didn't lay it out for me. Like which vineyard? <laughs> Maybe you have like four or five. I don't know. Like, how long do you want me to work in the vineyard? Like, do I plow? Do I plant? Do I water? What am I doing in the vineyard? You weren't specific enough. Church, I, I'm going to be honest. If there's any generation that gets to say, I don't know, it's not us. And, and you can blame the preacher all day long. Listen, I know my preaching's not, I haven't preached everything. I probably haven't gotten it all right. You can blame me all day long, but you got a Bible yourself. And when you stand before God, he's not gonna say, man, uh, you know what, you're right. Fires didn't preach good enough. He's gonna go, are you kidding me? That's probably not how he's gonna, he's, he's, he's more gracious than that. <laughs> you think you got access to this on your phone and on your iPad and online. You can listen to it and watch videos about it. And seriously, I don't know doesn't cut it, church. Now, if you're new, listen, we'll teach you. Please don't feel beat down with this. But, but this isn't about the people who are new. This is about the people who have been there for years and years and years. And they still have the audacity to say, God, I don't know what you want. Listen, sometimes I don't know is just straight I don't want to. I, I don't know is I don't want to. And I don't want to put the effort in to figure it out. N none of us are going to get to say I don't know when it comes down to it. The second way we can hide disobedience. It's not, we can't just, we don't just hide it with I don't know sometimes. Sometimes we can hide disobedience with really nice religious talk. Yes, sir, right away, sir. I'll go work in that field right now, sir. Then you sit down and you journal about how amazing it is that your dad would invite you to work in the field. You write maybe poetry about it. Maybe you write a song and you sing about it all the time about how amazing it is that he would even let you work in the field with him. You get together with other friends and talk about how awesome your dad is. And guess what? He invited me to go work in the field. Listen, 
gives me all the feels when I think about him asking me to work in his vineyard. But I still haven't started working in the vineyard. Francis Chan gives this illustration. He's kind of aggressive. You don't know who Francis Chan is about telling his kids to clean the room. He's like, listen, you need to go up and clean your room. All of a sudden they come back down. He goes to look in the room. It's not clean. He said, hey, what are you doing? Like, listen, dad, I've memorized what you said. Go clean your room. I memorized it. I, I, little, I can tell you in Greek. Go clean your room in Greek says this. Hey, listen, I, we, we've been getting together, me and my brothers and sisters. We've been talking about what did you mean when you said go clean your room? Actually, Billy over here, he's put together a 45-minute message on it, and he's going to talk to us again about what you meant when you said, go clean your room. Right? Does that work with your kids? No, it doesn't work with your kids, because it's simple. Go clean your room, man. And I think sometimes, I, I fear that sometimes our Bible studies and our small groups and our sermons are a really good way for us to hide the fact that we love to talk about obeying God, but we don't actually obey him. To quote someone that I talked with this week named Dennis Gorham, talk is cheap. Or I could quote someone else. Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 through 23 is Jesus. And he says this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, yes, Yes, sir, master, king, king. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who knows the will of my father, the one who likes the will of my father, the one who memorizes and studies the will of my father, the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They mask their disobedience with really nice talk. Let me, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you personally encountered God through his word and actually did something about it. We get used to just listening, listening, listening. That was great. We walk away. We didn't do anything. We'll show up every single week. We'll take notes. You might even answer the questions I ask out loud. When was the last time we actually did something based on what we saw in the word? Don't, don't let good talk, nice religious talk, hide real disobedience. At some point, we've got to be the son that actually goes out in the field. Or maybe we hide disobedience with nice action. Like in other words, we do, the, we do other things. Like Jesus, the dad says, go work in the field. And the son says, yes, sir. And he's like, hey, dad, look. Dad shows up, why aren't you in the field? He says, listen, look, dad, I did the laundry. I folded it. I washed the dishes. I picked up my room. I vacuumed my room. I even made you a really nice sandwich. Look at all these nice things that I did for you. He said, I didn't, I didn't ask you to. I mean, that's great. I like the sandwich, right? But I asked you to clean your room. Church, sometimes I get, I'm afraid 
that we get busy with all these good things that we don't actually do the things that he commanded. Listen, we can get really busy teaching Sunday school. You can get really busy teaching in a Christian school. This you can get busy being a deacon or on the welcome team. All really, really good things. But you can do all those things and still disobey God. That stuff can mask a whole bunch of disobedience. Listen, you can mask disobedience by trying to be a really good parent and a really good spouse. I'm trying to make a really good family here. Like I'm working really hard to make sure that my kids have all these great experiences. They got to have soccer and t-ball and stuff like that. But when it comes to teaching them actually to love God, man, I was so busy being a good parent. I miss being obedient to Jesus and how I raised my kids. Listen, the, the trap is really easy for those of us who are in the South and grew up in church. Don't let these things mask disobedience. Don't, don't miss what he says. And no matter what way you spin it, here's the point that he's making. Jesus showed up and he expected them to obey. And he was saying, listen, the prostitutes get it. The preachers don't. The, the, the sinners get it. The self-righteous have missed it. My question is, which are you? He's not done though. He tells another story. Let me go through this pretty quickly. Verse 33, here another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went to another country. That's a whole lot of words for this. This rich guy owned a field and he built a wall in it to keep animals out. He built a tower in the middle of it so they could make sure there were no thieves coming and that the workers would have a place to, to hide if there was a big storm coming through. He tilled the ground. He put a wine press in the middle of it because he was like, this is going to give a lot of fruit. We're going to do a whole production here. We're going to plant. We're going to reap. We're going to turn it into wine right here in the middle of it. Like, and you're going to sell it. This is a profitable venture. He's, he gives it everything it needs to work. And then he goes and says, listen, who wants to run this day? We'll work, we'll work a deal out, deal out here, all right? I'll take 25%. You take 75%. You just got to work the field. He gives them everything they need to be successful. So he, he agrees and he leaves the country. Verse 34, when the season for fruit drew near, drew near the time when he's going to get his 25%, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another and stoned another. Well, listen, that, that ain't, that ain't going to work. <laughs> like we had an agreement, a fair agreement. It's not oppressive. This is a fair agreement that you're going to do this. I'm giving you everything you need. I've set it up. And when I show up to get fruit, you beat the dudes down that I sent to get it. Listen, so he does it again. This guy's patient. They killed one of his servants. You need to think through that for a second, right? <laughs> they killed the dude. He sent other servants, verse 36, more than the first, and they did the same to them. This ain't going well. Verse 37, finally he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. Y'all seeing where this is going? But when the tenant saw the son, look at how stupid these guys, how insane this is. They see the son and they don't think, uh-oh, we, we better get it in gear they say this, they say this to themselves. That's the heir. That's the son. Come, let's kill him and have his inheritance. Hey, what world does that actually work? 
You know what will work, guys? I know we've been really bad so far, but he's got his son here. If we kill his son, he'll probably give us all the land. Does that make sense to anyone? Will that ever work out in any world? No, it's straight insane. Verse 39, they took him, threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. They asked this question, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? What do you think is going to happen? Well, everyone knows what's going to happen. They, they answer, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season. Listen, this is exactly what happened to the Jews. They sent prophet, God sent prophet after prophet after message saying, listen, I need you to come back to me. I've, I've given you everything you need to be fruitful. And they kept rejecting it, saying no. They killed some of the prophets. They rejected the prophets. They beat some of them. So God finally sends his son. And what do they do? They kill him. Listen, church, here's the deal. I don't want to draw too big of a thing here, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. God's going to come and have a people who will produce his fruit. In church, I think he's tilled the ground and put a fence around. He's given us everything we need to be fruitful and obedient. Look at this campus. Can I just use that as an example? Look at all the work that God has done getting this field ready to produce fruit. I want you to look at your life. Look at all the grace and mercy he's shown you. He's given you the word and the spirit and one another. He's given us everything we need to produce fruit. And at some point, listen, we got to stop talking about obedience and we got to start obeying. Not on your own strength, not on your own power, but by the gospel and grace of Jesus Christ. Church, it's time. It is time for us to be his people that produce his fruit by his power. Listen, let's not get stuck in neutral here. And it's real easy right now, isn't it? We've been in a pandemic for a year, right? It's easy to be shut down, but, but I'm just telling you, it's, it's time for us to re-engage and reopen and produce fruit for the king. It's time. Don't get lulled to sleep. Don't, don't allow yourself to sit there and say, listen, I'm, he doesn't really expect fruit of me. That's not the case. He expects fruit. And so my question for us is this. When Jesus shows up at North Florida Baptist Church, is he going to find a people who produce his fruit? Or is he going to find a bunch of sons and daughters that say, yes, sir, yes, sir, right away, sir, but don't actually do anything? Which are you? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Listen, I want to give us a moment to have a time of response. Not going to go too long. I'm going to walk us through a moment to actually do business with God right there in our hearts. And listen, if you need to speak with someone, we've got decision counselors in the back of the room. They'll be back there. There's a room you can go pray in if you need more time. There's people you need to speak to them about your walk with God or about joining the church or anything. They'll talk with you or they'll let you pray, whatever you need to do. And they'll do that in a COVID friendly way. But for those of you who are sitting here right now, I want to say this. Um, Listen, if you've been in rebellion against God, it's not too late. 
the good news of Jesus is that he sent his son to die on the cross for every single one of us, all of us. He's not surprised by your messed upness. He's not surprised by mine. And he said, I want those to be my people. I want them to be my sons and daughters. So he died on the cross to buy us and bring us back to himself. The Bible says he came back to life three days later and he offers this gift to us. He says, if you'll just believe that Jesus died for you and came back to life and ask him to save you, that he'll come in and he'll clean you. He'll adopt you and make you a son and daughter and he'll give you everything you need, a new heart. He'll give you the Holy Spirit. He'll give you the church. He'll give you everything you need to be able to walk with him. All you gotta do is ask, repent and believe him. Listen, if you've never done that, if you're holding off to clean off your life, don't don't hold off anymore. Let him do the cleaning. I would encourage you rather in your seat to place your trust in Jesus or to go back to one of our decision counselors to speak with them. You can do it at any moment. For others of you, you, listen, you're good church people. I, I know you're good church people. I've been seeing it for years now. There are good people in this room. But listen, my fear for us, church, is not that we would be too good. My fear for us is that we'd be good, but disobedient. You've been obeying the Father? And not, have you said yes, sir, right away, sir? Have you actually done what he says? Or have you shifted into a pattern of talking about what he says, but never actually doing what he commanded? Listen, if that's you, I just want to call you to repent. And I want to call you to ask Jesus to give you the power to actually obey. Ask him to change your heart. I want to tell you that the the gospel is that when Jesus came back from the dead, that was resurrection power. And when you place your trust in Jesus, you have that kind of power to actually be able to obey. Don't do it on your own. Ask him to help you. And I'm asking you to, then I want you to commit to stepping out in faith that he'll give you what you need to obey. Listen, for some of you, you've actually seen Jesus working in your heart. You, you actually have seen him helping you obey. Can you just take a moment in your seat and praise him that he's actually changing you and working in you? Listen, in a moment, I'm gonna close in prayer. If you need more time to do business with God, whatever he would have said to you, now's the time to go back to our decision couches or our prayer rooms. Um, Now's the time for you to do that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, God, I'm, I'm grateful that you're this gracious and merciful and kind. God, thank you for being this patient with us. God, I also want to praise you that you give us all the power that we need to actually be able to obey you. You give us all the grace for the times that we fail. God, you've shown us tremendous mercy. And I pray for every single one of us in this room. God, would you make us sons and daughters that obey by your power? God, help us to do that. I pray for people who would love well. I pray for people who would worship well. God, I pray for people who would go on mission well by your power and not our own. God, we also pray for this coming week that you would work in our hearts, that we'd be a people that would live out the faith in front of all the people around us this next week. And I pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.